Well, let's turn to Daniel chapter 5, if you haven't already. The title of the message is Belshazzar's Feast, which is the what Daniel chapter 5 deals with. Um, what's important about Daniel chapter 5, I'll go ahead and tell you, is what this records is the final night of the, Rome, I mean, of the Babylonian Empire. This is the last night of the Babylonian Empire. The end of the Babylonian Empire and the beginning of the Medo-Persian Empire that succeeded it. Going in just a little bit of history before we get into um, the text. After Nebuchadnezzar's death, war began between the Medes, I mean the Babylonians army and the Medo-Persian army, the Medes and the Persians. We usually call the Medo-Persian Empire the Persian Empire because the Persians were the primary group, the largest group between the two. However, it was also it was known as the Medes and the Persians, if you remember that in history. In fact, it's very interesting, the Medes actually helped the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, conquer their empire. And um, due to uh, some issues between them after Nebuchadnezzar's death, they went and sided with the Persian Empire and fought against the Babylonians, defeating them as well. By the time of Daniel chapter 5, what we're going to see here, the Medo-Persian army has laid siege to the city of Babylon. It's about to be the end of the Babylonian Empire. After uh, Nebuchadnezzar's death, um, he was succeeded by several minor kings, men like Amel Marduk, Labishi Marduk, Nergar Palaser, and also a man by the name of Nabonidus. Nabonidus would be known throughout history as the final ruler of the Babylonian Empire. His son was a man by the name of Belshazzar. Nabonidus led the army in battle against the Persians throughout the empire, and Belshazzar stayed back to rule over the city of Babylon. So when you see Belshazzar here, he'll be referred to as the king. He's king in, in the idea that he has been set by his father over the city of Babylon. However, he is the second person in the kingdom, the number two guy. And that'll pay off, and we'll see that the Bible's consistent with that in a little bit in Daniel chapter 5. The only thing that Belshazzar could offer to somebody who would interpret the writing on the wall that we will see very soon is to be the third in the kingdom. Why? Because he was second in the kingdom, and his father was first in the kingdom. By Daniel chapter 5, whether Belshazzar knew it or not, Nabonidus had been defeated. His army had been routed. And now the full force of the Persian army has come around the city of Babylon. And I look throughout history, and I think of times that we can go back to and say, here is the last day of a great and mighty empire. I think of the year 1453. On May 29, 1453, the Byzantine Empire would fall. The Byzantine Empire called themselves the last of the Roman Empire. If you met a Byzantine, he would not call himself a Byzantine. He would have called himself a Roman. And the last emperor of the Byzantine Empire was a man by the name of Constantine the Eleventh, Paleologus. Constantine the Eleventh, the night before, May 29th, May 28th then, 1453, Constantine Paleologus realized the city would fall the next day. Either he could run away, 
Or he can mount one last attack upon the Ottoman Turks who were coming to defeat him. That night, Constantine XI spent the night in prayer in the church of the Hagia Sophia in uh, modern-day Istanbul and prayed the entire night. And the next day, he came out and he went to battle, leading his army in one last defense of the city of Constantinople. And with the fall of the city, he died fighting for the city that he ruled over. Now, I have respect for a man like that. We come to Daniel chapter 5, and we see the Persian Empire, its army of the Medes and the Persians surrounding the city of Babylon, understanding that the final night of this great city, what does Belshazzar do? He throws a party. Belshazzar's foolish feast. Let's look at it in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, if you have your Bibles open. The Bible says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. So right here we see with the Persian Empire, their army, the army of the Medes and the Persians, surrounding the city of Babylon, is Belshazzar mounting his soldiers together? No, he has fallen into a false security. He thinks nobody can breach the walls of the great city of Babylon. I'm not going to worry about making sure my soldiers are in the right place. In fact, those men who are the leaders of my army, I'm calling them all together tonight. And we're going to throw a party. And we're going to have a good time. All the while, the army of the Medes and the Persians have surrounded the city of Babylon. It gets worse from there, folks. Belshazzar then demands to use the vessels from Solomon's temple for his party. Let's look at Daniel chapter 5, verse 2. The Bible says, Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, he's drinking wine with everybody, he commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Remember, um, just as a point for those of you who like to study um, Scripture, notice here that it says that his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken these out of the temple. Understand that Belshazzar was not a direct son of Nebuchadnezzar. He was actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. But don't think that the Bible is making a mistake when it says his father here. Remember, one of the titles of Jesus is that he is the son of David. Now, is Jesus directly a son of David? No, he is a great, 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 great grandson of David. He's not a direct son, yet he takes upon that title. He would say, my father in that respect, David. And just like that, Belshazzar, even though he's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, as a king, as a founder of the house, of the, um, of the dynasty of Babylon could call Nebuchadnezzar his father. But what does he decide to do? He decides to go and get the vessels from the temple. Something that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar never did. Remember, throughout Daniel chapter 1 through 4, even though it would take Daniel chapter 4 before finally Nebuchadnezzar would truly, exclusively believe in Jehovah God, 
Even in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 3, we see that Nebuchadnezzar recognized the power and authority that the God of the Hebrews had. And there was no way with that kind of respect Nebuchadnezzar had that he would touch the vessels that were brought out of Solomon's temple. Now, why did Belshazzar just decide at this party to do this? Well, one would just have to look at the situation. Do you remember I said that the armies of the Medes and the Persians had surrounded the city of Babylon? He throws a party, which is a dumb thing to do. Yet, he's trying in this party to assert the power to the people of the Babylonian Empire. And what he figured he would do is go back to one of the great conquests of the past for the Babylonian Empire. He said, my father Nebuchadnezzar went down to Israel, went down to the city of Jerusalem, and he conquered the city of Jerusalem. He carried his king into captivity. He went into the temple of the God of the Hebrews, and he removed from the temple all the gold vessels, all the gold furniture, all the silver vessels, and he brought them back. Now at this party, as a remembrance and a memorial to the power of the Babylonians, we're going to drink out of the vessels that we took from that place. And he brings them to his party. Belshazzar, of course, his wicked order is carried out. The Bible says in verse number 3, Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. They carry it out. And what do they do even on top of that? Do they praise God? Do they thank the God who those vessels were made for? No. They make a toast. And they make a toast to every other pagan god. To the god Marduk. To the god Baal. To the god Ashtaroth and all the other false gods, they raise up the vessels that were holy unto the Lord. And they praise those false gods. And they drink in their drunken party that wicked wine that they had brought in. After that though, the Bible says that something happens. The Bible says as they are making their toast in verse number 5, in that same hour, came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Um, then was the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosened, and his knees smote one against the other. In other words, what the Bible's saying here is the king was scared. He's so scared that he, he begins to tremble. If you want to use this term, his knees are knocking. He's so scared, the knees smote one against the other. He sees this writing on the wall. He doesn't understand what it's about. Where did this hand come from? And why is it going on right here? What does it mean? So what does the king do? After he's troubled, he calls unto the Chaldeans. He calls unto the soothsayers. 
And it's amazing to me, after reading Daniel chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, and seeing every time the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, the magicians, the astrologers are brought in before any ruler of Babylon, they're unable to do what the king asked them to do. Yet they keep on going back to them. I shake my head at that. And some of you may be shaking your head at that, but then again, I think sometimes there may be some people in this room that go to their horoscopes every time and do the exact same thing. Yeah, those horoscopes have done nothing for you. Hey, you go to these people who will give you lottery numbers so you can win the lottery. Hey, if those psychics really knew the numbers for the lottery, don't you think they would be millionaires by now? Yet we go to people who by demonstration are always proven to be fakes and failures. You'll go there, yet you will not go to the Lord to seek His guidance and what He would have us to do. We see this with Belshazzar. He says in verse number 7, Then cried aloud the king to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Remember what I said earlier concerning that phrase, third ruler. Who's the second ruler? Belshazzar. Who's the first ruler? Belshazzar's father, Nabonidus. The Bible says in verse number 8, Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was king Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonied. Again, what does the word astonied mean? It's an old form of the word astonished. And what does astonished or astonied mean? Like a stone. They froze. They're not moving at all. They're astonished. They're astonied. So the king calls in all his false men, all the astrologers, the soothsayers, the Chaldeans, and again, they're proven to be nothing but frauds and failures. The king's troubled. He can't think of one other person to bring in. However, the Bible says in verse number 10, Now the queen, by reason of the words of the kings and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. Whom the king, Nebuchadnezzar, thy father the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge, and understanding and interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard sentences, and absolving of doubts, were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spake, and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king that my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, 
and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should, make, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now I want you to picture this, by the way. Daniel comes in, and what does he come into? This drunken party. This is where the king is. And the writing on the wall has become kind of a buzzkill to the entire party. The king's miserable. All the lords who are chanting and shouting and laughing and having a great time are now all astonied. They're like a stone. They're not making any sound. It's a somber event. The king has his head in his hands. And here comes Daniel. And what does Daniel see? He sees all those vessels from the temple with all that wine poured into them. Being used for a drunken party. Being used to praise false gods. The very vessels that were declared in old times to be holy unto the Lord. To be misused and abused in such a horrible way. Daniel comes into the room. And what does he hear? He hears the king praise him without sincerity. After all, if he truly believed that Daniel was the man, why didn't he just call for Daniel first instead of everyone else? He says, if you can make it known, I'll do for you what I promised to do for those astrologers and those magicians. I will put a gold chain around your neck. I will put on you a scarlet robe, and I will make you third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel's having none of it, though. And listen to what Daniel has to say in verse number 17. Daniel's stern rebuke. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. Be very careful, by the way, for any of you in here, when you begin to crave the praises of the world, when you begin to crave the prizes and the rewards of the world, Many times people say, the man of God, he must be a great person because these men praise him. Be very careful what the world has to say about you. Daniel had no concern for the promotion of this king who had desecrated the things of God. He didn't want a robe from him. He didn't want a gold chain from him. And he did not want any position a man like that might provide for him. Let us always be careful when the world comes praising us, when the world wants to reward us. Let us make sure we stand true to God and stand away from the world. Verse number 18. The Bible says, O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty and glory and honor. Let's stop right there. What does Daniel say in verse number 18? Why did Nebuchadnezzar become great? Was it because of his military genius? No. 
Was it because of his uh, governmental ability? His ability to, great big, to build great big buildings? No. Who's the one that made Nebuchadnezzar great? God. After all, who are the Chaldeans a hundred years earlier, by the way? You know who the Chaldeans were? They were a bunch of people living in a swamp who couldn't even have their own capital city. The story of the Chaldeans a century earlier was a story of them fighting for Babylon against the Assyrians, the Assyrians kicking them back out to the swamps. They hang out in the swamps for a while and go back and fight for Babylon, only to be kicked out and go back to the swamps. They were the original swamp people, folks. They were not great on their own. Yet God took these people and took their man, Nebuchadnezzar, and raised him up and made him great, gave him majesty and glory and honor. And the Bible says in verse 19, And for the majesty that he, God, gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew, and whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was like the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Remember that story of Nebuchadnezzar. Who were the Chaldeans before God started to use them? A bunch of swamp people. Couldn't even keep their own capital. Pretty sad group of people. And God took them and raised them up to greatness. He made Nebuchadnezzar the ruler of the first empire that the Bible records. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He gets proud. And he thinks, how great I am. And Daniel reminded Belshazzar, when Nebuchadnezzar's heart was hardened with pride, God took his throne from him and drove him from Babylon and drove him into the desert, into the wilderness. And they fed him with grass like an ox. And he crawled around on the ground. And he didn't even have shelter. The Bible says he was wet with the dew of heaven. And the Bible says he stayed that way until he came to understand that it is God who made him what he was. Brothers and sisters, I pray God doesn't have to do that to us for us to understand that God is the one who makes us who we are. Never become so proud that you say it's all you that has made you who you are, that has established your family, that has provided your wealth, understand that the health you have, the strength in your arms, the ability to understand and do the work that you can do is a gift from God that so many other people wish they could have. Don't think it's all in your own strength. We need to glorify God. Nebuchadnezzar was smart enough to do that. The Bible says in verse number 22, Daniel speaks now and says, And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, 
though thou knowest all this. He said, you know the story of Nebuchadnezzar. You know what happened to your grandfather. You know what he became. And the Bible says in verse number 23, even though you knew this, it says, but you, Belshazzar, has lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of gold, I mean of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, thou hast not glorified. Did you hear what Daniel said there? What did you do? Knowing everything that God had worked in the past in your kingdom, you have the audacity to bring his vessels into this room and to raise a toast to all the false gods. All the gods, notice how what he calls them. They're the gods of silver. They're the gods of gold. They're the gods of brass. They're the gods of iron. They're the gods of wood. They're the gods of stone. And let me tell you what their power is. They cannot see. You carve eyes on them and they can't see out of them. Hey, you carve ears on them and they can't hear. You give them a head and in that head they know nothing. They don't know what you're saying to them. They have no comprehension because all it is is gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, iron. Be like you going home and pulling a dollar out of your pocket and start rubbing up against it, telling you how much you love it, kissing on it, telling how sweet it is. That dollar don't know what in the world you're doing, and it doesn't matter to it. Yet this is what you give your life to. Belshazzar has focused on the wrong thing. The Bible says in verse number 24, Daniel says, Then was the part of the hand sent from him, from who? God. And this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Many, many, tickle you farson. Many, many, tickle your farson. Now, what does this mean? He explains it in verse 26. This is the interpretation of the thing. Many, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Let's stop right there. If you look up on the screen, you'll see that the interpretation of the word many, understand when you see these words that they are transliterated Aramaic words. They're spelled out the way it's pronounced. And the word many simply means this in Aramaic, numbered or counted. It means numbered or counted. And the Bible says concerning this that the reason why this was written is God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. In other words, He's given you all the days you're going to have. The time is over. The next word, tekel, it means this, Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. The word tekel simply means balanced or weighed. And the idea here is, you've been weighed and you're proven to be less than what is needed. You're not going to be able to conquer. You're boasting of your power. You're trying to make yourself out to be greater than you are. But you're a failure. You've lost. 
And the next word, euphorson. In verse 28, instead of saying euphorson, it uses the word paris. And that means thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now some of you may have a question. Why in verse number 25 is there a word euphorson and in verse number 28, the words parrots. Is that a mistake? And the answer to that is no. Euphorson is the plural form of the word parrots. Euphorson in Aramaic is the plural form of the word parrots. And the reason why it's euphorson in verse 25 is that it is divided between two people. Notice it says in verse 28, Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So in the phrase, it's used in the plural. However, when Daniel speaks the word, he decides not to speak it in plural, he just says the word as the singular form, Paris, that the kingdom itself, the Babylonian kingdom, is divided. So the Bible here is saying, God has prophesied to Belshazzar and said, your days have been counted and you've come to an end of them. You have been weighed, and you have been found wanting. You are short. You are um, not up to snuff with what it's going to take to stand in this kingdom. And then the kingdom that you have is going to be taken away from you, and it's going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. And now we see the fall of the Babylonian Empire. The Bible says in verse 29... Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold around his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him, that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. And that time of ruling was just going to be a matter of hours. The gold on his neck he could care less for, and the scarlet robe means nothing to him. Yet he said he, he did what he said he would do. And the Bible says now, in verse 30, And that night, was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. What happened? Well, according to history, we do know how the Medes and the Persians conquered the, Babylon, the city of Babylon. The city of Babylon had great walls. They were so big and so mighty that nobody, they felt, could ever tear them down or climb over them. As long as you had the city and you stayed within the walls, there was no army that could possibly tear down the walls of Babylon. The Medes and the Persians understood that. But they also understood the city of Babylon, the city itself, sat on both sides of the banks of the Euphrates River. And what the Medes and the Persians decided to do, in order to get through that wall, the Persians sent a portion of their army upstream from the city of Babylon, and those men worked hard to divert the entire river river Euphrates, to go around the city of Babylon. And once that river was diverted, they had a dry riverbed to walk under the walls and walk right into the city of Babylon. And that's exactly what the Persians did. They diverted the river that night, the night of Daniel 5. And in a dry riverbed, they walked right in to the city of Babylon. And the Bible says again in verse number 30, and that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. 
Now, who is Darius the Median? We're going to know him a little better in Daniel chapter number 6. But when it comes to the Medes and the Persians, Darius was the king of the Medes. There's another man who is the king of the Persians. And that man was a man by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus the Great. He would be known in history. Cyrus ruled out of a city called Susa, or as it's recorded in the Bible, Shushan, the capital of the Persian Empire. In fact, it still is within the borders of the nation, the modern nation of Persia, which is known today as Iran. However, the Medes were given the city of Babylon. And Darius comes down and he takes over and he installs himself as king over the um, city of Babylon. And he did that at the age of 62 years old. So he's an old man. He's not going to live very long. And now he's come to sit upon the throne of Babylon. Daniel had been promoted all the way up to the third most powerful and important man in the Babylonian Empire, only to have a few hours later all his authority taken away from him. He is now a citizen of a new um, country, a citizen of a new empire, the empire of the Medes and the Persians. So let's remember now the story of Babylon. I met Daniel and his life. When he was born, up until his late teens, Daniel lived in the nation of Judah. He would have seen the city of Jerusalem. He would have seen Solomon's temple and the glory of that great temple. But once Nebuchadnezzar had conquered his country, Daniel was transferred from Judah and taken over to Babylon. And for most of his adult life, he sits in Babylon as a captive. Now Babylon has fallen. And now he has a new identity. He is no longer a citizen of Babylon. He is a citizen of the Persian Empire. He has a new king. No longer is it Nebuchadnezzar and his dynasty. It's now a new king. And the name of that king is Darius. Daniel would survive Darius, and he would live into the reign of Cyrus the Great once Darius had died. But Daniel has now taken a stand for God. And what do we learn from Daniel chapter number 5? that is important for us to follow. Always give honor and respect for everything that happens in your life to God. Do not put it upon your own self because anything you have as far as strength, as far as cunning, as far as wealth comes from God and not from us simply. And when we recognize who God is and we honor Him in our life, God will bless us. But if we are foolish, like Belshazzar, what will God do? He can take it away. And He can abase us and humble us. I pray that you won't make God have to humble you. You'll humble yourself to Him and let God raise you up. Amen? Amen. God bless you, Brother Wayne.